You are listening to a special edition of Bruce Springsteen's Sings the Alphabet. Today we're doing a patron interview with Lori Pierce, uh, uh, someone we're super excited to talk about, uh, stop, talk to. I'm JB Clark. I'm joined as always by Rob Carmack. Rob, how you doing? Hey JB, I'm doing good. How are you, sir? I'm great. I'm pumped about this interview we're about to do. As am I. Uh, so let's inter- let's introduce our guest, Lori Pierce. You're on the line. How are you doing? Today? Hi guys. I'm good. I'm drinking vodka and lemon, and I'm fine. All right, that's a great. It's uh, <laughs> a, a very chill beverage. That is that is the thing I regularly do while we record this podcast. So we're we're already off to a very vodka and lemon. Well, just okay, vodka and okay. whatever and I have. Friend. Yeah, vodka and Lacroix, whatever I have in the fridge. Just Lacroix. Yeah, <laughs> JB likes to be all fancy about it. Shiner's got their holiday beer out, and it's it tastes like Christmas. It's just okay. It's as long as we're on the same page, we're all on the same page here. So. For sure. We're all on the same page. <laughs> all right. Well, Lori is uh, okay. So real quickly, Lori, you you live in Chicago, and you yeah. I, I, can't, I can't remember exactly how long ago. I don't, uh, how long ago did you first start emailing? Like how long? How long did you, I'm I'm so so sorry. I'm losing my my question. How long have you been listening to the podcast? I don't remember when I came into it. It was must have been. You guys must have been doing it for when did you start? Like three three thousand or two thousand fifteen or something or sixteen? Two thousand sixteen. Was it? Yeah. Two thousand sixteen. So it must have been last year. Just before the entire year, world imploded. Because. Uh, it might have been after Voldemort. I think it was probably after, but I did start to, um, I, it was about halfway through. You were probably in the, like the, probably the, the M's or something like that. But then I went back and I started to listen to, I went to the back catalog. I have an email from July 28th, 2018, but I feel like we talked before that. This okay. The earliest, one, earliest one I have, the subject line is hating on pony boy. <laughs> <laughs> which is a great introduction I, did <laughs> I didn't put it on my list i thought about it i really did just because you guys were hating on pony boy really hard but now that you guys are like firmly into fatherhood i really really hope you now love pony boy because you know what's not to love it's a cute dog i don't know uh, they, does they that mean I also- after that my, my I actually, I think I have it here. July twenty second, two thousand eighteen. We had a form submission to the website with a subject line, just a suggestion. <laughs> <laughs> okay, sorry, sorry. No, I loved it. the The language immediately. I was like, oh, oh, dang, we got somebody who knows. <laughs> <laughs> just paying attention. Yes. Okay. Yeah. I didn't put Pony Boy in my list though, so I could have. I thought seriously after after listening to the um, you guys talking to Hyle, I did seriously consider putting all Western song Western star songs on the list, so you would have to talk about all of them. <laughs> <laughs> it's a hack. JB attempted that one well, time and I raped him out. Uh, yes, yes, I <laughs> I remember that one. No, I decided. I thought I would. I'll be take your take your advice and. We'll do them one at a time before you get to the album. Like, okay, okay. But it didn't fit the theme of my list, so I didn't have to leave it out. I didn't have to do any, any surgery. It didn't fit the theme of the list. So, Well, and a thing probably we should mention that JB and I know about that, that listeners won't necessarily know is that Lori has been emailing really insightful 
observations about a lot of the things like in, in the aftermath of certain episodes. And what, one of the things that Heil said very Heil was very kind to us and said that our discussion had sort of changed and opened up the way he saw certain songs. And I will say, even after we had done certain episodes, Lori would send us emails and I would feel that way about Lori's emails that we, JB yeah. and I would have a conversation and then Lori would sub, like, would send us something and say, and say something. And I would, my first thought would be, I wish I had, I wish I had known that before we did that episode, because that is, that is some real wisdom and some real insight that we just did not have when we entered into the conversation. So I'm really glad Lori's actually here to maybe bring some of that wisdom directly into the feed um, so that oh. we can can do that. So, Lori, thank you so much for being with us oh. today. Oh, you're welcome. No, this is fun. This is, I don't, I've never had a chance, nobody's ever asked me about Bruce Springsteen before, and there's a reason, because I know nothing. I know absolutely nothing. Uh, we have, we have so, two years' worth of emails um, that suggest otherwise, Lori. Yeah, they suggest very much otherwise. You're <laughs> just a smart ass. I just think I know everything. Once you have a PhD, people just assume. Yeah, I know what I'm talking about. Not really. What Not is your so PhD much. in, by the way? Uh, PhD in American Studies, but I'm a historian, so more or less. I mean, African American history, Jim Crow era. Which I mean, if if that doesn't you make have... you like more than qualified to talk about the body of work of Bruce Springsteen, I don't know what does. Yeah, Bruce okay. Springsteen. Is, is is uh falls under American studies for sure. For okay, sure. okay, okay. I'll I'll believe you. Although okay, so we'll, I won't say it, but I believe you. We'll call you a, a content expert. Uh, you have been you have been certified as an expert witness. <laughs> there you go. All right, I'll take it. <laughs> All right, so I don't even know where to start. You sent us, because most of the time when we're about to do one of these interviews, somebody will send us their top 10 list of Bruce Springsteen songs. Uh, and you, true to form, decided to say, what if we don't do that? <laughs> What if we? What if I send you different lists? And not only do I, will I send you a list of songs, I think, I'll send you a list of questions. Yeah, I think the list. I don't. I don't think she said. Why don't I do something different? She said, "Here's something more interesting than my top ten. Which and now there was a list this, of questions that are way more interesting than the top ten. So uh, I didn't I'm send you the discussion questions. I just sent you the. List. I didn't send you. I found a whole page of discussion questions as well. <laughs> So um, I didn't send you those because those were harder. Those had, you know, they were like essay questions for your final exam. So nothing, yeah, nothing I didn't says, do that. Nothing says professional educator nothing like says, someone who sends out a list of 27 essay questions. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Choose three, be brief. Go ahead. Yeah. <laughs> Choose three, be brief. Oh, I, I just got like flashback trauma to oh, yeah. grad school. That's my Sorry. sweet spot right there. If I saw choose three be brief on a test, I was like, I don't have to study for this. You're golden. <laughs> oh yeah, you would for my test. You would actually have to proofread for my test, but that's another story. You'd have to proofread, and there shouldn't be any answers or mistakes in there. But that's just my own little peccadillo. Well, everyone should be able to write, right? Yes. To, well, to I only said I sent two lists because I couldn't figure out how to. I don't like hierarchies obviously, which means listing the best or worst of something, which struck me as, you know, how would you know? What's your criteria? What's your standard by which you judge it? So I rejected the idea of best or worst. And then otherwise, it's just, I like it. I don't like it. 57 channels, <laughs> Pony Boy, whatever. I don't know. <laughs> so I decided, <laughs> I decided to go with something a little bit more in my wheelhouse. And so I created a themed list that has to do, what did I call it? I have to find it. 10 songs that might mean something different if you're a black girl listening to Springsteen. 
something like that. I think I changed the title of it. All right. Was that close? That that almost word for word. Yes. If you're a Black Bruce Springsteen fan. Yeah. Yeah. I I didn't come up with 10, so I failed immediately. Um, Seven. Seven is very quick. Yeah. Uh, yeah, there are nine songs on this out. list, like, JB. They're nine. Uh, oh, yeah. One, two. Are there, there nine? Are nine? Yeah, you got nine. That's okay, even close. closer to ten. Okay. Well, that doesn't top the twenty-seven I have on the other list, but right. you know, you guys can decide when to stop me on this one, and we can move <laughs> over to the fun one. I was going to say we like to keep these fun. at around an hour, so we may need to get started because you've given <laughs> us a lot of content to work on. So let's let's do let's do your list of of songs that uh, I'll I'll name it exactly as you've named it. Some songs that might mean something different if you're a Black Bruce Springsteen fan. So you you send us this list not with numbers next to the songs because you've rejected hierarchy, which I totally respect. Yeah. Um. Even though <laughs> there's nothing that Bruce Springsteen fans love more than ranking things, and uh, as as we as we've learned over the last three or four years, uh, but we, we will go in order that you submitted uh, the list. So you start. Okay. We'll just jump right in. You can sort of explain a, as you go. We'll start with "Born in the USA." This is in, this is my daughter's favorite song, by okay. the way. She's not a Black Bruce okay, fan, but she does love the song. song. It's my least favorite song. I think I probably made that known in some email somewhere along the line. This is my yes. least favorite Bruce. I know it's. Heresy, I know, but I'm going to say it, and I'm going to stick with my conviction that this is not a song that is on the top of my list. But it's on the top of this list because it's problematic in so many ways. Yeah. Um, I've, I think I kind of emailed you guys some of the things that I was thinking about this. But the theme of the list was what you know was you know what happens when you see this from a different perspective, right? Bruce's audience is always presumed to be white. It's mostly presumed to be male. But you know what happens if other people are listening listening to these songs? So my my conceit was, well, what if we just made all of the protagonists black mm-hmm. or Latinx or Asian? We just changed, we re-racialized all of the protagonists. Would the song come out the same? What would it mean? How would it be different? And Born in the USA is the one that um, is most radically transformed when you, eh, maybe not, but I, I think it's one of the ones that's most radically transformed because you have to imagine a different person's experience. So instead of this, um, you know, we don't often think about, you know, kind of the range of experience of Vietnam veterans, of any veterans, of, you know, military service, that there's a range of experience based on how you went into the military, what happened to you when, when you were there, and how did, what happened when you got out. Mm. And I was thinking about this less about Vietnam veterans than I was about what happened to African-American veterans when they left World War One and World War Two. And, you know, some of them weren't spit on. They were actually lynched or chased out of town or things like that. So, you know, the protagonist there is, you know, having a hard time. The white protagonist is having a hard time. You know, he doesn't have a job. He, um, and, you know, we can have sympathy for him. But if this guy is, you know, a black veteran, he was one of, you know, in 19... Here's where I looked up some statistics. I did a little data hunting. 1967, African-Americans were 11% of the population, but 23% of the combat troops. And 1965, um, 25% of all combat deaths were African-American. So, you know, this guy's coming out of, you know, my protagonist is coming out of the military with a different perspective, right? Who he lost, how he lost. Um, African-American troops were more likely to be in harm's way. They were, you know, combat troops as opposed to, you know, fewer, there were fewer black officers to protect those troops. So this guy comes out of the military with a slightly different perspective. 
So my question at the end of this was, you know, what does it mean when that guy says born in the USA, mm. right? At the end of the song, and he's screaming, and, you know, Bruce is, you know, kind of expressing this sense of agony and frustration. But you know, what does this guy feel, right? Because this is a song about birthright, right? He keeps saying that this is a song about, you know, everybody has a right to, you know, if you're born in the USA, you have a right to certain kind of privileges. And it's like the guy, who, my black protagonist didn't go into the military with a sense of those kinds of privileges. So what happens when he comes out? Does he mean the same thing when he says, I was born in the USA, than his, his white protagonist, his white uh, compatriot? That is fascinating. Yeah, well, it, I mean, go ahead, JB. Well, I was going to say he comes home not only to sort of the the, the taste that, that America had for the war and the way that we treated the veterans, but also the way we were already treating <clears throat> Black Americans. Bef- you know, it hadn't gotten better, and he had served the country to you know, quote unquote, say freedom or whatever. But at the same time, like nothing has changed for him when he comes home, and he has to deal with the being a veteran in a war that is widely maligned. I hadn't thought about it that way before. Yeah. Have have you seen the movie Mudbound? The movie what? Mudbound. The, it came out, I guess it came out last year. It was, um, I'm trying, I'm, Mary J. Blige was the only person I can remember who was in it. It, it, there, there, it was several people who were in it, but it was on Netflix and it takes place. Oh, I think I did see it. I think so. It's, well, the reason it's, I, it's in Jim Crow South. Is that Yes, and and the reason okay. I ask is is because it it basically it chronicles sort of the return of two World War II veterans. One of them is white, and one of them is black. Mm-hmm. And um and the guy who's who comes home who's black, like he he was treated really well in Germany. Like he was you know he was a hero in in Germany when he yeah. was there among like the other guys who were in his unit. But he comes home, and there's this instant sort of dissonance where he's not allowed to walk through the front door of like the local grocery store. And you know what I mean, and and like he's more in danger yeah. going to the grocery store down the street from where his family lives than he was like in a tank rolling through Berlin, and like that, like that, yeah. that very dissonance is super interesting, and and you sort of paint that also looking at um at this song and the idea of well, and also I'm not not to go off on too many like pop culture tangents, but I'm I'm in the show Watchmen right now is on HBO. I don't know if you've, you've been watching that, mm-hmm. but there's a there's an opening scene that takes place in 1917, and you have this character who's a black soldier um, in World War One, and he receives a pamphlet from like a German, like some German walks up to him and hands him a pamphlet, and the pamphlet is basically they're recruiting black American soldiers by saying like. If you win this war and you go home, what's what's waiting for you? Are you you know what I mean? It's, it's basically like yeah. the Germans saying to Black American soldiers, like you realize you're fighting for somebody who doesn't like you, and and yeah. and, uh, and apparently that was a real thing that happened during World War One was that there mm-hmm. were there was a lot of like, literature passed out to to Black soldiers who were over there like fighting for for the U.S. saying like why exactly like who exactly are you fighting for right now at this moment. And so, like, all, all that, yeah. I'm not to... The same thing happened in the Philippines. It, it happens all the... Yeah, that happens a lot. It happened in the Philippines with black soldiers serving in the Spanish-American War. And there was all kinds of, you know, back on the continent, people were saying, why are you fighting for that? You're fighting brown people. Why are you fighting these other brown people who are also in a revolutionary situation? So, yeah, that kind of propaganda was... And it's easy. The Soviets did it. The, you know, the, the Nazis did it. Yeah. <laughs> it's kind of an easy way to... Um, to kind of tweak Americans, you know. Yeah. 
make them pay attention to that kind of thing. Well, and, and so your read of this song, I think, totally fits into that sort, sort of that's that counter narrative, you know, the, the idea of like, yeah, what what is the entitlement of somebody who's treated so like whose whose life is more in danger in Tupelo, Mississippi than it is in like um, Saigon? You know what I mean? Like, like that's that's an interesting point you're making like that one change really adjusts how you read the song yeah don't hate on tupelo i'm sure it's a lovely town i just i, I just said tupelo because that's where J, jb is and um <laughs> i know i'm sure it's a lovely town i could have said montgomery Alabama. it's a really progressive <laughs> town as far as southern small towns go yeah i'm coming uh, down there one day i'm coming down there you would love it it's great uh it's too great i <laughs> i've lived for too long yeah <laughs> okay I'll take your word for it, Kentucky. Okay, number two. Yes. Number two. I also reimagined this song with a different protagonist. Oh, wait, you said the hitter. hitter. I'm sorry. There was a a delay. So the the hitter is the second on your your list. Go ahead. Right. It's the second one. And I I did a similar thing in trying to reimagine who who, who this guy was. He's a boxer. Um, I heard that there was a backstory to this song, that it was either a true story kind of based on a true story or a part of another song that, you know, Bruce kind of um, reworked the song. And the story was, you know, what he says in the lyrics, which is, you know, his mother sends him to New Orleans because he's being chased by the police for some reason. You don't know what the crime is. You don't know why, but his mother sends him out of town. And somewhere along the line, I heard that this was a story. Um, it might have been like in a Chuck, I'm thinking it was a Chuck Berry song, but don't, um, you know, you might want to edit that out because I have no idea if that's right. Um, the vodka talking. Um, but <laughs> the story was that, you know, this guy was being chased and his mother sends him out of town and he ends up spending the rest of his life kind of living undercover as a boxer. And so when I, you know, I just, what this made me think of was um, if you've ever read The Invisible Man, uh, um, the scene where uh, the Battle Royale where it's at the very beginning of the novel. It's a, it's a tough novel, but at the very beginning of the novel, um, the, you know, two of the protagonists are made to fight one another for a sport, for, you know, they're going into this club and they think they're going to, they think something's going to happen. The extra are made to fight one another. And so you've got these, you know, two black boys being made sport of, right? So you've got them, you know, it's kind of like a dog fight, right? Mm, yeah. So people are betting on them and they have to fight. So that made me start thinking about the numbers of ways, uh, you know, when African-American males' bodies are are sport and are entertainment for, you know, white audiences. So putting this back in the context of, you know, Jim Crow South, 20s or 30s, my thought was this guy is not just running from the police. He's running from a lynch mob. He's done whatever he's done. It could be, you know, whatever he's done. Oh, my God. Sat on the curb, talked to a white, white woman, and he's running for his life quite literally. And then spends the rest of his life kind of, um, <clears throat> excuse me, beating up on other people in order to earn his living. So the connection between past and present had to do with what happens to black athletes, right? So they make this choice um, to to do something to save their lives. They have no choice to save, you know, to, you know, did you ever watch, you guys watch Friday Night Lights? Absolutely. Friday Night Lights, right? Yeah. Okay, that's what I figured. That's what I figured. <laughs> so I don't remember the naming of the characters, but, you know, the black kid who, you know, is, he knows this is going to be his way out. He knows he's going to save his family. And, you know, things go, I forget exactly what happens. Smash Williams. But, um, Smash. (laughs) I got to go back and watch that. I haven't seen it before. (laughs) Um, But he's, you know, he's stuck. And, you know, people say, well, you know, they make millions of dollars. These guys need to, you know, get up off their knees and, you know, play ball, shut up and play ball. But, 
you know, most of these players have short careers. They're, you know, they're physically beat up. They, they leave with head trauma and medical bills they can't pay, and they have to live on whatever that is for the rest of their lives. And they were in an educational system that didn't educate them. I could go on and on. But that song made me think yeah, about all their money gets taken. Yeah. yeah. Oh, and they have to, you know, they spend all their money trying to support the rest of their families, and they've got an extended mm-hmm. family, and they need these things. So it just made me think about the kind of cycle of exploitation and how black bodies are used for the entertainment of white audiences. Mm, yeah. Yeah. Wow. Absolutely. That, that well, in in Devils and Dust, which is what that, uh, which is the album, the song yeah. that shows up on. There, there are other songs on that album that do sort of venture into the murky water that is like the racial history of America, like not 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 unlike the Ghost of Tom Joe does, and which we'll get to in a minute. But yeah, um, like th- those those albums specifically, Nebraska, Tom Joe, and Devils and Dust, all sort of like go to those places. I mean, it's. Yeah. I can imagine listening to any of those albums and putting a black protagonist in every song on each of those albums, and all of a sudden the struggle becomes that much more intense and severe just just by by changing that one detail. Yeah, yeah. I will. I looked at the rest of these, and some of them were going to go on the list. I, one of them gets referred to later. I forget. Well, okay, we can keep going through the list, but yeah, Devils and Dust is one of well, them that does that. So let me ask you this: uh, Say, born in the USA you like a lot less for this reason do you think that that this you're you're imagining the song makes the hitter more powerful or do you think it makes it harder to listen to or both or or just not good in in sort of that it like that frame that you hear from um better or worse i think it makes a difference i think it's um yeah. just giving i to me like because i never it's like why did you run away what are you running away from you know what is why is his mother so afraid to let him back in, right? She says, is that the one where she says, uh, unlock the door, you don't have to let me in, but, you know, just let me sit here for a little while. So she's afraid yeah. to have him in the house. Yeah. And so that makes you think, it's like, what's going on? Why is he, what's he afraid of? So imagining that backstory then kind of, you know, puts them, made the rest of the story, um, I don't know, gave it more pathos, but, mm-hmm. and just that, you know, the early 20th century, that boxing environment that was so violent and so, you know, kind of racially um, ten. You know, think of Jack Johnson fighting. You know, the Great White Hope. That whole story about. Yeah. Like yeah. I, I forget all the white boxers' names. So it was so racially charged. So adding that element or putting that back into the story makes me, you know, it makes me see it differently. I don't know. If it makes it better, worse, harder to listen to. It's, you know, it's yeah. different. Well, it becomes a question because a lot I of Bruce totally Springsteen, a, a lot of Bruce Springsteen songs. And I'm, this is not an original thought, but a lot of Bruce Springsteen songs could be like turned into like a film, you know, because he's, yeah. he's so sim- cinematic in how he writes. And the way you're framing both both of these songs so far, if I'm thinking in terms of like if you're going to take the story and you're going to make it into a film by casting a black actor in the lead role, to me it becomes a much more interesting film than maybe we haven't already seen a hundred times. You know what I mean? Like I've seen a lot of yeah. song, uh, like I've seen The Deer Hunter. I've seen I've seen movies about white mm-hmm. Viet- Vietnam veterans coming home and like struggling to to reacclimate. I've never seen that. I have ne- I've never seen a movie about a black Vietnam veteran who who went through basically a black version of The Deer Hunter. And maybe that movie's out there, but yeah. in the same way, like if you take The Hitter and it's about a white guy, then it's basically like Cinderella man. But if you take if you take this exact same story and cast like Michael B. Jordan as the main actor, then all of a sudden 
there's there's an emotional richness and the stakes feel higher and and it just like and that's I cool. I no longer know I'd exactly that movie. Say well, oh, I would yeah. I'd, I'd be I'd be there opening night. That would be an amazing movie. Um, but, but you're it, actually uh, I went to a school with a guy named Patrick Willis who's like been in some Duracell commercials and stuff. He played linebacker for the 49ers. And your hearing of this reminds me a little bit of sort of why he retired. Oh, he yeah. was just kind of like, I'm out of here while I still got it. Um, and sort yeah. of cited some of that. And that was kind of about the time that I, my family's been like season ticket holders to Ole Miss football since I was a kid. Yeah. And a couple of years ago, I wrote an essay and quit. And I was just like, I'm out. I'm done. I cannot watch a bunch of old angry white men yell at young black men as they sacrifice their bodies for zero dollars. I'm I'm out. I'm done. And uh, and it's it's hard. It like you talking about the way that you hear the hitter like that is how I'm gonna hear it from now on. It's I yeah. think it's a more interesting okay. song right. in, in that through that lens. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And I think By the it, way, it speaks to something that we're grappling with as a culture of people who are sports fans right now. That's an yeah. action. That's yeah. a thing that is is really happening. That's a good point. Yeah, I'm not a sports fan, but I can, you know, I hear it buzzing around, and that's, you know, the, you know, California wanting, you know, uh, the athletes to be paid or at least to get some kind of wage for their labor and that kind of stuff. Sounds so. like you're getting it. They are. They aren't. They are. Oh, cool, cool. Okay, yeah. last thought about this song. Tom Jones covered it. That's all I'm going to say about that. Tom Jones covered yeah. the hair. <laughs> yes. Really. Yeah, what I'm not sure random... why I know that. <laughs> it just popped up while I was looking around. It's like Tom Jones, that Tom Jones, and it appeared to be him. So, like it, it's, it's not unusual, Tom Jones. That guy, yeah, That's, that guy. What a weird song for I, Tom Jones to cover. I, yeah, he did it. I only listened to a few seconds of it because you know it was Tom Jones singing the Springsteen <laughs> song. Like, really. <laughs> Really? <laughs> no, I'm good. Old, <laughs> Check it out. Well, now that's I'm gonna have to Google that very soon. Um, Do that. So, okay, so number three. You ready to move on? Yes. Yes. Okay. Adam raised a cane. It took me a long time to figure this song out. I, Darkness was not an album that I knew anything about until I'd never heard it. So I started listening to Springsteen again in two thousand when the book came out. Really? Because I, you know, I don't, yeah, well, I'd always heard him, right? So I'm old enough. I'm almost his age. So I, you know, he was just ubiquitous. There was no way around Bruce Springsteen. You know, Born to, Born, Born to Run came out when I was in high school, and Born in the USA came out, you know, after I graduated from college. So it was just everywhere. But I'd never heard Darkness on the Edge of Town until I read the book. I thought, well, this guy's interesting. So I went back and started listening to his, um, to the rest of his um, albums that I'd never heard before which is why I like Lucky Town and nobody else does. I like Lucky Town. Um, <laughs> I don't like Human Touch. Okay. All right. I'm not going to have that fight. Right. It's just not going to have <laughs> Fine. Fine. We can discuss it later. Okay. We'll talk Out about Pointy Boy later. <laughs> Adam Raised the Cane was not for in the, my... For the, I did, I never heard those it. listening, this is... I was going to say for everybody listening, this is a fight we have been having. I'm <laughs> yeah. back to that now. some other time, but <clears throat> I might have to pour more vodka for that one. Okay. 
Adam raised the cat. Anyway, I, hadn't, I hadn't heard the song before, and I didn't, you know, I wasn't really on board with Darkness. I've been listening to it more and more, and, you know, it's grown on me. Mm. But this song, you know, I thought, <clears throat> I was, again, I kind of put it, I gave it a different backstory. And this is, you know, obviously one of Bruce's, you know, antagonistic relationship with his father's songs and, you know, that whole, that whole thing. But I think, what if the father, again, re-racializing them, what is the, you know, what's the inheritance? If the father and son are Black, then what's the inheritance? What does Adam pass down to this came? Mm. And it's a song about generational trauma. It's about the trauma of racism. So, you know, this father is, and the backstory I imagined was um, the father, again, I'm in the Jim Crow South. I kind of live in the Jim Crow South. It's kind of where I teach and write. So just mm. bear with me. Yeah. Yes. It's always a cheery day in my neighborhood. <laughs> um, so, hey, I understand. I live in, as we've established, Tupelo, Mississippi. <laughs> yeah, yes. That is still the Jim Crow South, isn't it? Okay, never mind. <laughs> oh. not, not Tupelo. You're there touching a nerve with JB. Here. There are towns very near Tupelo that are still the Jim Crow South. Tupelo is very much not. Okay, I mean, I'm not going to hate on Mississippi. Um, anyway, I imagine these, uh, the protagonist as, um, you know, a, a father who was taken away from his son, right? So... During in that era, you could be, you know, black men were picked up for vagrancy, for any, any nominal crime. And a lot of places, they could be sold back into slavery. Mm. Um, if you've never read, there's a book um, that I recommend kind of haunt, haltingly, just because it's horrible to read. It's called Slavery by Another Name. And it's about the convict leasing system in which, you know, they would pick up men for, you know, whatever nominal crime, take them to jail, hold them on bail. Um, the cops, the judge would tell them, okay, so, you know, so-and-so, this farmer, this mine owner, this businessman, he'll pay your bail, but you have to work it off by going to work on his farm. And some of those guys were never seen again. So they would go, those stories about what happened in Alabama in coal mines, not coal mines, uh, in Alabama, and I forget exactly what the industry was. They're terrible. They're horrendous. And a lot of those guys never made it out. They were working in the dark. They were naked. They weren't being fed. They were being tortured. They were essentially being sold back into a system that was worse than slavery. So my protagonist, he actually gets out. Um, he manages to survive, um, goes back to look for his family. You know, the father and son don't know each other anymore because in the song, they're on opposite sides of the door, right? So they they don't have a relationship. He's outside, you know standing in the rain and the father's inside or whoever is, you know, on which side of the door. And, um, you know, their, their love is in chains, right? The guy was literally bound up. He couldn't, you know, they don't have any relationship with anyone with one another because their love is in chains. And, you know, he says, uh, you know, it's never over. It's relentless as the rain. And it's like, yeah, the racism is never going to, you're never going to escape this. This is elemental. It's, you know, it's relentless. And so yeah. the legacy of the, the father passes down to the, the son is some, you know, kind of inherent, you know, isn't just anger. It's, you know, the inability to escape this. It's the racism that constantly, re, you know, constantly circles them, surrounds them, you know, eviscerates their life chances. And so, you know, both of them are angry and they're angry for a reason, but maybe they don't know this, right? So the generational trauma is the inheritance. That is a really fascinating read on that song. And and you're right. Like that 
Because, because, yeah, you, you sort of always assume, I mean, until you read Bruce's book, you sort of assume that the, the tension between the two of them was just basically like his dad wanted him to have a normal job and he just wanted to be, play rock and roll. But, but it was, there was a lot yeah. more to it than that. But then, again, like you just said, like if you, if you go into the song and you make it not just about like the dad and the son, but also like this, this trauma that's been, carried, that's been passed on from generation to generation and that the tension is about all, all the people who aren't necessarily in the room, you know, like all, all the people who came before and, and what everybody's sort of passed down from one, one generation to the other. And, and, and the trauma that, like you said, like the trauma of having lived in a, um, in, in a violently racist world from like, and passing that on from one generation to another. I can, I can imagine that does, that, that cuts a lot deeper. Yeah. I mean, even just the violence, right. Just passing down the, the inheritance of violence, you know, child abuse and, you know, whatever kinds of violence that children and families pass down for one another. And so the trauma lives on in people's bodies, it lives on in their lives, and, you know, compound that with, you know, kind of institutional structures that aren't any help, that make things worse. So it's, the song gets, it gets a little bit more grisly. I mean, it's already kind of dark, but it gets a little bit more, like, intractable. Sorry about that. That one's going way, way down. If you, I mean, could could the same sort of way of thinking be applied to all of Bruce's father songs, like uh, going into like Independence Day, and, and kind of like, you know what I mean, like tracking through like all the different songs that Bruce sort of writes about fathers and sons. If you, d- does this mental exercise work work in that way? I wonder. You know, when I was looking at these, some of them seen some of his songs that are really personal are also more universal. Yeah. So, you know, like something like um, Independence Day, you know, feels really kind of intimate. And so it's harder to, you know, kind of apply that critique because it really could be, you know, so the songs that are that intimate uh, tend to be more universal and it could be anybody. So it's difficult. It's more difficult to re-racialize something like that because you don't necessarily have to, you know, if you change the you know, background of the person, it doesn't really change the conversation that much mm. or change the intimacy of that experience that they're having with one another conversation. So these, you know, if you change the background, these are kind of larger stories or larger questions. And it tends to me, I think there's a difference between those two types of songs, but I did not make a deep study of it, but I will do it if you like. So, so really it's, it's the ones that sort of like there, there's a systemic um, wound that's inflicted. And those are the ones that tend to really like pop when you, when you start to apply this filter to it. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, you know, it's systemic, but it's also something that is, you know, you can't, you can't, you know, the institutional and the individual go together, right? They go hand in hand. So you can't have one without the other. So how do you, you know, cure the problem? Do you cure it by, you know, putting this person in therapy, but you still have all of the structures around this person that make, you know, they live in a violent situation or they live in a, you know, those circumstances or, whatever the institutional structures that are in the way. So how do you change the institution without changing the individual or change the individual without changing the institution? So, yeah. All right. Well then the next one you got is the ghost of Tom Joad. The ghost that never keeps on giving this song. This song always gives, gives and gives and gives. Um, This one is, I mean, we had talked about this before the fact that this album is one of the ones where um, I think in one email I said to you guys, like, this is the first time out. Yeah, Bruce is kind of very deliberately making a choice about the protagonist not being, you know, his typical audience, yeah. right? So he's yeah. changing who he's seen. You know, he's in California. He's seen, you know, kind of 
putting a different face on it. He's got migrants. He's got, you know, people coming across the border from Mexico, putting those people in all kinds of circumstances. So he's very deliberately doing something with this album that hadn't happened before. Um, shows up again in, you know, Devils and Dust. And um, so, but this one, um, this, the, one of the things that caught me on this one is that there's this time shift that he uses um, time as a way to um, draw the connection between, you know, Dust Bowl migrants and, you know, I was a child, Dust Bowl migrants and, um, you know, Mexican migrants or other people coming across the border. So not only do you have, you have the ghost of Tom Jode, right? So, you know, the ghost in the present, Tom Jode from the past. But he also uses all of these, you know, little illusions. Like he's got the picture of, you know, people making soup, um, hot soup on the campfire under the bridge. And that's a really kind of like 30s, you know, hobo kind of image, yeah. as opposed to shelter lines stretching around the corner. So he's got these two ways of making sure that the, that the um, audience hears both of those things at the same time. That what was happening with the Dust Bowl migrants in the 20s and 30s is the same situation, right? You're, there's, you're, there's not that much difference between people fleeing their farms being dispossessed or being dispossessed from their farms and having to leave and having no jobs to go to. That's the same circumstance. There's no difference between those people leaving and going to California from the east and people going to California from the south. So he does that. I, I didn't go. I didn't print out all of the lyrics, but he does that with a couple of the lyrics. The um, um, uh, chopper helicopter over the uh, helicopter. I forget exactly how it goes, but the helicopter, uh, you know, over the over the ridge. Yeah. Um, as as opposed to the Pinkertons, right? So you get this kind of back and forth between seeing the past and the present at the same time, and forcing the listener to think, okay, so. Are these two things really different? You don't have to, even if you don't know who Tom Joad is, right? So even if you just go back and, you know, only know the reference, you can't, you know, you have to see those two things together. So um, this one is less about re-racializing the protagonist than it is about seeing the kind of historical continuity that he's trying to draw. It did make me think, though, you know, because the guy, um, the, one of the protagonists, I wondered, what about that guy in Ski? who's, you know, live in his car in Houston. Yeah. And I thought, I wonder if that's the same guy, right? And what happens if you, I don't know, I kept, all of these characters started to yeah. kind of meld together to me. But That's just, that's the thing about the characters is you kind of wonder which ones are the same from song to song. I got to say the, uh, you, you keep talking about the comparisons. It almost feels like he's unromanticizing. Uh, he's trying to sort of equally romanticize the, uh, um, not romanticize, but mythologize the so the Dust Bowl. We we mythologize and romanticize sort of these images of the of the like you were saying the hobo you know soup under the bridge. We acknowledge it's terrible, but it's sort of like this piece of Americana. But then we see the same yeah. thing happening in the in yeah. the food lines, and, and it's it's a you know it's a it's a problem. It's it's a yeah. clutter on the streets, and and it's almost like he's trying to mythologize the current and unromanticize the past all in one. It's it's a it's an interesting it's an interesting the way I, I didn't think about it the first way through the way you just brought it up yeah but, you know what I'm saying it's like the because those early early immigrants are you know a lot of the people's images of them are probably like white not necessarily they don't think of them as much as immigrants as they do is just like white uh, poor laborers does that make sense yeah. like yeah yeah, the, yeah, so. yeah yeah they're just I, white people I, I moving as opposed to yeah right down their um, luck you know picking themselves up by their bootstraps and you have this yeah. image, well, that's not Oh, well, maybe it is the same. Oh, well, maybe I need to deal with some things in my yeah, own heart yeah. and mind. 
Yeah, and if you think about, you know, if if you have the racial prism on it, if you're looking at it through a critical race lens, then, you know, you have to, you know, an undergraduate would get that, would get that. It's perfectly obvious what he's trying to do. But it's interesting, you know, kind of we do see the ones as a, you know, kind of the, if you've watched um, Ghost of Tom, or watched um, uh, Grapes of Wrath, I think I saw a part of it the other day, and it was... You know, it does have that kind of, it is kind of romantic, even though terrible things are happening, but it does have this kind of, you know, this Americana, it has this feel to it, right? These well, it's the difference between it. historic and historical, you know, like yeah. one happened and one yeah. was a thing that we stamped. Yeah, so. yeah, 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 I think so. Um, yeah, it comes up in a couple of other songs in Ghost of Tom Joe, too, such as the new time. Timer, which is the next one on my list. The what a great timer. transition. Great transition. <laughs> I know. I know. I'm going to take right. one of you guys' plates, right. I think. I think I'm, yeah. You can have mine. mine. We all know <laughs> I'm auditioning for the job. Um, well, no, the new it. timer was another one that <laughs> was another one from that album that um, didn't so much change the um, kind of. Sh- well, actually, I did. I was thinking about. You know, the the question that got to me was, how come the new timer never calls home? He's, hey, stop. Um, sorry, I got a cat in here. Um, <laughs> oh, yeah, your cat's made a couple of appearances, and it's made me just chuckle. It's so cute. <laughs> oh, I didn't know you could I've seen, like, a whisker and a nose and an ear. And it's just so if cute. I'm I just keep waiting for a little paw. Just keep waiting for a little paw on the screen. Okay, we'll see. She's trying to pull something off the table right now. She thinks she's being funny. Um, well, says, but you know how that you know how you know the world's not flat. It's because if it was, cats would have already knocked everything off of it. <laughs> <laughs> sorry. Anyway. Okay. Okay. I'm sorry. So back this, on track. Back on track. These guys were. Um, I, what maybe what I started to think about was you know how come the guy never phones home? He's you know they're out in, you know, if he's just, uh, you know, some guy wandering, trying to find a job. And at the end of the song, he sees a family, you know, he's looking in the window and he sees a wife and, you know, mother and child. And he's, you know, I wonder, does my son miss, miss me? Does he, does he, um, does he know where I am? And I'm thinking, how come he doesn't know where he is? Even if his father is kind of, you know, unless he's out of the picture, how come he doesn't know where he is? So then I was like, okay, these are two, you know, the old timer and the new timer are, you know, two Mexican migrants, two people coming across the border. He can't call home. He can't go home. You know, they're kind of cons- they're kind of perpetually alienated or, you know, you know, alienated from their home. If the old timer, you know, um, and this is another one that does the time thing. It's like, OK, so if the old timer is somebody who, you know, has been on the rail since the Great Depression. Well, he's been out there a long time. This came out in the 90s. I was like, dude, has he been out there for 60 years? What's going on with this guy? Mm. Um, so are we in the past? When is this song? Are we in the past with the old timer? Is the new, who is the new timer? So if we got the same time thing, right? So we have this old timer from the Depression living the same life as this new timer is about to take up, right? So this is a guy who's been you know, dispossessed from his industrial job and the time kind of it vanishes, right? So again, we've got the same situation happening to two different people. But if you re-racialize these guys as, you know, Mexican, and the, the old time is, you know, teaching him the ropes. And in the song, he, you know, they meet, they know each other for a little while. They are both picking grapes and picking, you know, fruits. Um, and he hears at one point that his friend was killed. Um, you know, nobody, nothing taken, nothing missing. Somebody killed him just to kill. 
And I thought, well, that was a hate crime, right? If somebody, nobody took anything, they wasn't, he was just, you know, if he's a Mexican guy and he's, you know, kind of sleeping by the, you know, by the railroad tracks, it was a hate crime. And so, you know, the guy goes to, the new timer goes to bed with, what does he have, a hatchet or an axe or something like that, because he now knows that, you know, the danger isn't just not having a job. It's, you know, somebody's coming after you because you are, you know, taking our jobs. You don't belong. So it kind of it kept doubling over on itself when I started thinking about these guys as, you know, two Mexican migrants, two people from south of the border trying to figure out, you know, going from camp to camp, um, you know, living in barns with hundreds of others, et cetera, et cetera. You want the next uh, one? Next one. Hmm. Rob, you ready for the next one? I can't. Well, this is this is the one I'm most excited to hear about. <laughs> I'm excited. The most excited to hear the next the two after this one. Uh, no, this I one. am. I, I when I saw the, my first reaction when I saw this was, uh, I mean, okay. <laughs> now remember, this isn't a list of favorites or best. This is a list that has a theme and a particular perspective. I mean, Outlaw Pete. Even so, any Outlaw list that includes Outlaw Pete is an audacious list, and I'm here for it. <laughs> okay, Outlaw Pete. <laughs> It makes sense. It's, it's an, it fits into my theme. <laughs> Literally, I, if you if you if you make so, you do have to leave off the fact that he was born, born a little baby on the Appalachian Trail. Okay, the song doesn't work for me if he's a little baby on the Appalachian Trail and serves six months in jail by the time. Okay, so you have to put that to the side. Outlaw Pete is a um, army deserter from the Buffalo Soldiers. He's left his unit because. Um, well, he says, the song says, um, you know, that he's, he's an outlaw, right? He's on the run because he's a killer. He's a thief. But if he's a soldier, he's both of those things, right? If he's a soldier in the Indian Wars with the Buffalo Soldiers in the late 1890s, early, in the 1880s, 1890s, you know, uh, executing the law, um, against, you know, kind of, um, um, treaty laws and, you know, fighting Indians who had treaties with the United States and the treaties are being violated. He's both an outlaw and a thief, right? He's a killer, an outlaw, and a thief. He's not doing it by himself, but he is part of the army that's doing that. Um, you yeah. know, he has a dream, yeah. he wakes up, and he says, um, you know, it says, I'm sorry, he says that he cut a trail of tears across the countryside, which when he said trail of tears, it was like, oh, I know what this song is yeah. about. Really good. This is clever. Um, you know, he cut a trail of tears. He's part of this long legacy of, you know, Americans, um, you know, dispossessing Native, uh, dispossessing Native Americans. So he runs for it, right? He, he books, he says, you know, he sees death coming for him. And it's not, you know, that he's going to be caught. The death that's coming for him is, you know, it's like retribution for this. So he escapes, he, you know, kind of, you know, escapes into, um, he, you know, has a, he marries the girl, has a child. And, you know, the person coming to look for him, the bounty hunter coming to look for him is the, you know, it's the MPs, it's the military police. They both die in the end. Well, we don't know what happens to Pete. Maybe Pete dies, maybe he doesn't die. Um, but the last thing that the bounty hunter says to him is, um, we cannot undo the things that we've done. So it's like, well, there's a story. Yeah. As, you know, a member of the military, that we can't undo those things, mm. right? So we've been part of this you know, kind of uh, outlaw thieves. We've been stealing, we've been pillaging. Um, and he tells them, like, you can run, but 
you know, you can't hide from our culpability. This is less about re-racializing him, you know, because yeah, I think so. He's a Buffalo soldier, but more about, you know, the culpability of military, you know, how the military used African-Americans to fight these wars and, you know, kind of left them, you know, to, uh, to take responsibility for it. That's my most radical read on a song. I so. like it though, because I mean, and Bruce also has black cowboys. And so like there, there is in his mind yeah. space in the Western story for, for the black experience. And so, I mean, like, like you said, yeah. why not, why not? Like, and, and that, like you said, there's, there's a richness that you find when you, when you just sort of like turn the lens in a certain way and you begin to look at it through, like through that prism. And all of a sudden, again, like it, it adds some depth to a song that I don't really go to a lot for death. You know, like <laughs> Outlaw Pete's a tough song for me. I, I don't respond to it, but I like your read on it so much that it makes me want to rethink it, you know? Yeah, just skip that Appalachian Trail part. Just just go right by it. Yeah. Go right through that. Because that, that just doesn't make sense, right? So unless, <laughs> yeah, okay. That's the funny part. I think he meant to write a funny song, and then it just kind of went in a different direction. Yeah. So, um because the little book has got the, you know, Outlaw Pete and the Diaper and stuff like that. But, um, oh, that's true. Yeah. yeah, that's not the comic book I would have done. So that's <laughs> My wife picked that book up. I ordered it and just put it on the bookshelf. And one night, my wife's reading my son to sleep. And she texts me and she's just like, Outlaw Pete is super dark. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, not really a kid's book. Not yeah. really. <laughs> it's not a kid's book. Okay, so we take care of our own. Yeah, this is actually, great. We take care of our own long walk home actually kind of go together. Um, and I've, I should have done the other ones earlier, but we take care of our lo- own and uh, long walk home. They both do a similar thing and they kind of, you know, are kind of um, a continuation of Born in the USA. As a matter of fact, I think these songs are do the same thing in some ways as the Born in the USA, um, but in a more pointed fashion. Right. Bruce has always said, you know, people didn't understand, you know, or. People have always misinterpreted Born, Born in the USA as this anthem and know it's a really critical look at patriotism. But duh, if you sing that song in front of a big flag with people pumping their fists saying USA, then it's not a song about critical patriotism. It's a song about patriotism. It's a song about xenophobia. Um, sorry, Springsteen fans. Sorry. Um, <laughs> but we take care of our own and uh, long walk home. Are, I, I feel like he was kind of, okay, I get the message here. These songs are, you know, a, a more subtle way, or at least a more sophisticated way of asking the same questions. And he said the same thing, right? So, you know, it's, well, who's the we? When I heard this song the first few times, it was like, who takes care of our own? Who do you mean we and what is our and ta- what is exactly is the definition of take care of? Mm. Because, you know, I think if anything, Bruce tends to romanticize hometown, you know, he kind of, you know, hometown life, you know, uh, um, everybody lives here. Nobody's going to bother you. He has this sense of, you know, kind of hometown life, small town life that I think a lot of black people might think, mm, maybe not so much. Yeah. Right? right. So, uh, you know, your hometown within, you know, the black community, that might be one thing, but if you're in, you know, on the other side of those tracks then hometown is not necessarily a comforting vision, right? Or you don't necessarily take, um, assume that you're going to be taken care of. Um, and, and so this one, you know, he, he calls out, I mean, the song is deliberately calling out, um, you know, um, uh, the government, he uses the Calvary's not coming, right? FEMA is not going to rescue you from the Superdome, right? So yeah. he's calling out the government, but he's also, you know, assuming that 
you know, we, you know, if that's the case, then we means the federal government. But if you hear this from a slightly different perspective, we might mean, we take care of our own might mean just our own, right? We don't think you're, it's not necessarily an inclusive song, right? It could be as exclusive. We only take care of our own. And if our own is the people in our town, the people who look like us, then that's kind of a problem. That's not what the song is meant to do. If you, you know, you're, it also has that kind of, you know, libertarian independence, right? We don't need the government to take care of us. We take care of our own. Well, that's all well and good for, you know, a lot of people. It just doesn't necessarily, doesn't necessarily, you know, you don't necessarily have to have that confidence if you have a government that has never taken care of you and now you have to hold it responsible. Yeah. So that one is always, I it's, get the song, I like it, but... It's a yeah. song that exists on a spectrum that could be as as great or as bleak as yeah. as possible. Yeah. I, so so I cover this song a lot whenever I'm playing around, and I I always sort of start by saying this song can be a criticism of how small we can be, while mm-hmm. also being a, a a a charge to be as big as we can be. Mm-hmm. Um, because I think I think it very much can become a rallying cry for like tiny. Um, communities that want to be apart from each other, but it can also be a a a charge for us to mm-hmm. take care of our own, and yeah. to expect better from our government that should, because we claim to take care of our own, should take care. Of. Right. You know what I'm saying? Like yeah. he calls out, he calls out FEMA in the Superdome. I feel a little less, you know, kind of spiteful about this song than Born for the USA because it does, you know, it it, it you could do both of those things. That you can't possibly just raise your fist. Uh, at this one, right? It's asking you to do something. To me, it, it is it is both. It is saying, hey, sometimes mm-hmm. we want to take care of our own, but also we could take care yeah. of our own. Um, yeah. And I and I really I really love that. The first time I heard the song, I heard him talk about Katrina, and I just was like, okay, I am a forever Bruce Springsteen fan right now. Yeah. Because yeah. you know we because uh, we did, but we also didn't all in the same time, and that that's my biggest complaint. And 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 sort of fondest memory of those times is that we took care of our own and we only, yeah. you know, a lot of us only took care of our own at the same time. So it's, it's, it's the best of us and the worst of us. Nice juxtaposition. I wanted to get that uh, word in for you. I live for it. <laughs> I live for it. For you. <laughs> Don't say I didn't take care of you here today. Don't say it. <laughs> I appreciate you. And I knew you would. That's why I've been so excited about this all week. You always do. You always give me like an out or a, you know, like a little I mean. You could do it. Well, and I mean, <laughs> the song that's not on this list that I that I I always draw a line to when I think about we take care of our own is "Death to My Hometown," and yeah, it, to me that that's an interesting yeah. one to sort of include in this in this discussion, right? Because what that song is about is about like how it, he he's raging about like the recession and how we let like all these you know right. th- these folks like go underwater with their houses and. Like all basically how, you know, communities have been decimated by sort of the ne- negligence of um, the people who we were supposed to like rely on to like run our financial institutions and, and uh, you know, and all, the, all these things. But then if you use your filter, the if, if, if you think of this song through the lens of what if every character in the song is black, then all of a sudden death to my hometown could become about gentrification. 
It could become about like uh-huh. it could right. be a retelling about like Black Wall Street in 1921. You yeah, know, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and so, which although that doesn't work because it says um, no rifle made a sound like where like many guns were fired at Black yeah. Wall Street. But but it's the same yeah, 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 the same yeah. idea. And I heard Damien. I mean, second reference to Watchmen. The the show Watchmen. The opening scene of Watchmen, the series, is a scene that occurs during the the bombing of Black Wall Street. And I heard Damon Lindelof, mm-hmm. who wrote the show, like he, they asked him, like, what made you decide? to? St- oh, you, you could start your show from anywhere. Why that? And he said, I just gotten done reading a book about Black Wall Street. And the thing that occurred to me was, like, a lot of times you will hear, like, white politicians tell black folks, you know, just work harder and you can, like, start your own business or create communities that are pros- prosperous. And what the Black Wall Street story will tell you is, yeah, but when people once did that, we destroyed it. You know what I mean? Like, like white folks, yep. to, like we, like we wasted no time in burning that entire shit to the ground, and so, yeah. um, and, and so like death to my home. I'm, I'm, I'm again sort of like connecting death to my hometown with we take care of our own, and, and the idea of e- even when people, e- even when non-white people do like find a way to sort of rise above, it's it's like there is this entire system in place run by white people who are like mm, that's a little bit you know we told you to we, we told you to lift yourself up by your bootstraps but now that you did we're very uncomfortable with it. And so we're gonna yeah. um, we're gonna try try our best to, to destroy the thing that you just made. So anyway, I realize yeah. that's not entirely what you're getting at with these two songs, but I I think it's yeah. a similar piece. Because it's like you said, it's a way of like... Well, you could do the same thing with... You could have a, you know, kind of a... Just thinking about community. I was thinking of my city of Bruin, right? Oh, yeah. So when you put those... All of those songs together when talking about, well, how do you redefine community? What does community mean? So if you put those three together, you might have, you know, an interesting conversation about, um, you know, past and present, who constitutes community, how do you create community, how you sustain community. So, yeah, I didn't think that I would put all these together. Now, I will rewrite my list and call you tomorrow. Okay. <laughs> all right. Well, hey, it's 10 songs. I'll be by the you got 10 songs. <laughs> all right. So now uh, you've got The Line. Uh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, because The Line, I had the Galvin Sinté on there before The Line. Mm-hmm. Um, and only because, and my only question about that was Asian guy is acquitted for killing a white guy in Texas. No, is it Louisiana or Texas? It's Texas. And yeah, all I wrote was, really? Yeah. All yeah. I wrote was, really? 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 <laughs> That's all I had to say about That is the most <laughs> unbelievable part of the entire, like, of all the stories Bruce Springsteen tells, yeah. the, the one that is least believable is that a non-white guy yeah. could get away with killing a white guy in Galveston, Texas. Yeah. Yeah, I wasn't sure. I was like, is this a true story? Did, I mean, I know he rewrote the ending because he wanted to have a happier ending, right? He didn't want the guy to actually murder you know uh murder the guy who got acquitted but like uh sorry bruce you stepped off a ledge there that's just not happening yeah. so which how um, funny so is that it to think about that happened. that whole album and be like bruce was like for this one i'm gonna give it a happy ending what <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah well he did yeah happy <laughs> Terribly sad album, oh, maybe the most terribly sad song i think we'll wrap it on up with a bow yeah <laughs> yeah everybody this is for you um okay and so the last one was the line and we had actually um and i was i looked back at one of my emails and this is one of the conversations that we had had before about this you know about this song where you have um three protagonists really you've got three people in the song a white guy a mexican guy and then louisa and her brother um but this one was you know kind of about the power dynamic right so and he doesn't usually 
do that. He doesn't usually, we're seeing the song from the point of view of uh, the white guy whose name I didn't write down. Anonymous white guy, whatever his name is. Yeah. Sorry. Um, it, it's from his point of view, but you get everybody else's story too. And usually he doesn't do that. I mean, I could be wrong, but I feel like this is kind of exceptional. So, you know, Bobby Ramirez, you know, is trying to tell him, it's like, dude, it's not what you think, right? This is, this is harder than you think. You're not just coming down here to police the border. You've got to understand these stories. And, you know, he meets Louisa, you know, falls in love with her, thinks she's falling in love with him and doesn't, you know, he's naive, he's innocent. He doesn't know that he's being used. All she sees is, this is my ticket out. She sees him as, you know, the representation of institutional power. He's white, he's a cop, and how do I do, how do I get over this, right? How do I surmount this? And, you know, he's, you know, low-hanging fruit is, you know, she looks good, he looks good, so she takes advantage of it. But, you know, I kind of like that as, you know, his, he has to kind of come of age. It's like, okay, so he has to come to some kind of racial consciousness and recognize that she's using him, right? There's her brother carrying drugs. She's using him. And so what does that mean about, does he then become, you know, an angry white guy on the border with, you know, Mm -hmm. a a gun picking off migrants or does he come to some other kind of understanding about what's actually happening? So no real story there, but that's a, I like that one as kind of un- unresolved as an unfinished song. Yeah. Yeah, it absolutely is. Well, and that's that's a good point too. Like what happens to the guy? Like what are his his thoughts and feelings about the people he's supposed to be interacting with every single day? Does like you said does he become more hardened and racist or does he sort of have a like a moment of like personal awakening? And and we don't know, right? Like that's yeah. sort of the in uh, maybe that it's like a Rorschach test. Like you just sort of have to like wh- whatever, whatever you think happens next says a lot about sort of like what your own experiences of life have led you to up to this point. Right. Yeah. 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 Uh-huh. So that's all of the ones on my list. That's my list. Are there Except any, Except for that the list of 27. <laughs> I was going to say <laughs> there's 27 questions. <laughs> I tell you what, let's do, cause we're, we're getting close to being out of time, but I would love, I would love for you to yeah, pick, yeah. pick a song or a song, pick a question on your, on your 27, uh, that, that you would most want to talk about. Uh, well, these are less about, I want to talk, you know, I don't have a whole lot to say about them. Cause actually the questions were interesting, the answers to me. So I was, mm-hmm. you know, I was, this was just me having fun. So, you know, best love song. That's not a heterosexual, cisnormative song. You know, these are, you could post these on your website about, and then people could have a fight about whether your Facebook. Page. Oh yeah. These would be good for the Slack channel. You know, just like throw, you, you could, ooh, throw these questions out, of, out to the Slack group. Yeah. A song. What, one of my favorites, cause I like the answer is, you know, a song that sounds better now. Bruce, old Bruce sounds better singing it than young Bruce. And it's Drive All Night, without question. For mm. sure. Yes, absolutely. Oh, yeah. Just There's something about the way he sings as a young man. You know, I kind of tolerate his voice until Ghost of Tom Joad, because he, you know, he, he's just not a very good singer. I mean, he's, okay, sorry, Bruce fans. He's not a very good singer until he's, you know, much older and he has more resonance in his voice. And Drive All Night just kind of encapsulate oh, that. Oh, it sounds idea. so good now. It does. I totally it agree with sounds that. Much, I wish he could re-record it. I wish he would re-record it. Um, it's probably not going to happen, but I wish he would. Um, and I'm trying to think of the ones that are more provocative. 
um, songs that nobody should ever cover, or no, better songs should people songs people should stop covering. And Dancing okay. in the Dark is the only way. Yeah, Dancing in the Dark. There's only one answer <laughs> to that question. Oh man, Dancing. Lucy Dacus just did a great cover, Dancing in the Dark, like three months ago, and it was so good. Everybody does a great cover of Dancing in the Dark. Stop it. That's Stop. true. There are a lot of covers of that song. Yeah. There are hey, so many good Bruce Springsteen songs. Why that one? Lucy Dacus oh, nailed it. Her band is so good, and she nailed it. You okay. should check it out. Okay. I, I'd be okay, curious I'll to hear. I'd be curious to hear your thoughts on number twelve, most cringe-inducing lyric. <laughs> My, <laughs> I had a bunch of them. Um, your legs were heaven. Your breasts were the altar. Your body was the holy land. Please, God, no. no that's a terrible lyric. <laughs> John Mayer's <laughs> like, I can do better. You should just. <laughs> John Mayer's like, can I cover this? Can I rip this off? Yeah. <laughs> No, 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 no. You should not put breast in. The, just don't do it. Just don't <laughs> sing about that. Call, call it something else. You should not be singing about breasts. Um, and, uh, oh, the, with her killer graces and, and her secret places that no boy can fill. Ooh, sorry. Oh, man. I had never thought um, about that. That's gross. Races, fine. I don't like yeah, where it goes from there. No, it does not go in a good way. And then the next line, and she's the one, you know, with her soft French cream. What the? What is French cream? <laughs> really? <laughs> I don't know, man. I, I think like we it. had that discussion. What is it? I don't know. I don't think we ever got to the like bottom it. of that. I don't know. I don't like it. Like yeah, the image, given the context of this song, French cream just goes in all kinds of odd directions. It's just like <laughs> butter, and she's just good at making butter, you know? In which case, <laughs> butter's cool. Is that uh, it? Yeah. Otherwise, I don't like scones. it. He's making scones with that French cream. <laughs> I don't think so. I don't... No. Those are, the, yeah, those are the, I'm sure there are more. This was, I was literally doing this off the top of my head this morning. So, um, yeah. Oh, the other one was, yeah. you know, song. I'm sorry, go ahead. You said you've got best lust song, and also you have the question, the most graphic image. His oh. introduction to Redheaded Woman in the live version is the most yeah. graphic image of the song. It most certainly is. Or, I mean, and his best lust song, his best lust song is Redheaded Woman. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, yeah. Reed, Reed's <laughs> got some pretty adult, you know, like it, it, it paints a pretty adult picture. Which one does? Reno. It does. It does. It does. I was thinking graphic, like turtles eat the skin from your eyes. That's what I was Oh, my like, God. Oh, yes. yeah. That's graphic. Oh, yeah. dear. Yeah, graphic. Worms. There are always worms coming up out of things. And what did he say when he entered a redheaded woman, though? He was like, you've never tasted until you've kneeled down at the altar of a redheaded woman or something like that. Yeah. To me, that was like, okay, yes, that he, is very much clear. He debuted that song <laughs> you know at, at a fundraiser for a Catholic elementary school. Yeah, for I love that. I love that. In the story, it was in um, Peter Carlin's book, Peter Ames Carlin's book, where he tells the story yeah. about what happened. And I interviewed somebody who was there, and you know, Bruce keeps saying, you know, can I, can I use the word? Is it okay if I use the word? Yeah, I've already said fuck, so if I can go ahead. Oh and yeah. And he says, you know, he starts going into, you know, I'm going to talk about conolingus, and you know, he, <laughs> and at one point the priest he said. I think that's when the priest walked out. <laughs> <laughs> couldn't take it. It's like, oh, wow, man. you just couldn't. Yeah, that one is pretty. Redheaded woman is both lusty and graphic. Yeah, it is. And, um, and the other question I liked was the song that 
um, now makes more sense once you've read the autobiography. Oh, what was your answer to that one? County Fair. Oh, All right. yeah. Cut, kind of a deep cut, but uh, yeah, it makes sense. I mean, he tells the story about driving through Texas and, you know, I mean, he has a psychic break, but, you know, it's a, it, so it doesn't really match the tone of the song, but it kind of makes sense that he's describing, you know, this place he wanted to belong and et cetera, et cetera. So it makes more sense now. I'm sure there are I, other ones, but. So I'm kind of curious on this list, song that gets ruined by a crowd sing-along. <laughs> I, I think that I think that most songs are enhanced by crowd sing-alongs, and that's from someone who's like really picky about kids' musicals because they're out of off key. But you know, yeah. I, I'm in the Ben Folds camp of like I really I saw him recently, and he loves to like get people in this crowd to do harmonies. I love a good crowd sing-along. So what what song do you not like for a crowd sing-along? Well, okay, so I cheated on that question because I've never actually been to a Springsteen concert, so okay. I can't really. So I, you know, I I I, I cheated based on what I've seen on, um, you know, your basic YouTube video. And I think the one I put there was, um, I think it was Born to Run. But it's just a really hard song to sing, and it doesn't really, you know, it just always yeah. feels kind of shouty. It's just like everybody just kind of shouty, you know. It's not like Waiting on a Sunny Day where everybody can kind of, you know, you can sing that song, but Born to yeah. Run, it's like he There's can't some even high sing notes. Yeah, it's he's yeah. not very good at singing it. You know, the album version is like, stop singing that out loud. You did it on the album. That's really all we need to hear. So, yeah. Uh, so when you hear that in concert, it's just kind of shouty. It just ruins it for me. But Everybody's as I said, I've never been to a concert. I'm sure I would have a religious experience. I doubt it, but I'm sure, you know, that'll happen. I went someday. down front and recommitted my life to art, so. <laughs> During the altar call, you did that? <laughs> There's an altar call. There is... If, if anybody could have an altar call, it would be Bruce Springsteen. What about the I think yeah. What about the song slash lyric that still doesn't make any sense? I mean, that's got to be Bishop Danced, right? Um, I didn't. <laughs> there were so many. You really could have put all of you know, of you know, anything from uh, Asbury Park or, or yeah, anything from Asbury. Yeah, Park. yeah. none of those. Like, none of those songs. Yeah, none of them makes sense, right? So I just, <laughs> they know. do like in a sort of like this intuitive like kid poet kind of way, you know? Yeah, thirty, forty years on, it's like stop singing that song. It still doesn't make any sense. And it's not, <laughs> like, if you're twenty five listening to that song, and maybe you're high or drunk. It's like, yeah, this is great. You know, blinded by the light, and then after a while, it's like, okay, stop. <laughs> trying to figure it out. It's like, okay, never mind. So. <laughs> Anyway, you guys can have fun with those questions. I'm sure I have more. I think I cut it down from 35 to 27 because they're 28 because they got a little, you know, song you hate but you love now that Bruce has sung it. Um, and I'm doing this for you, JB, because it's Viva Las Vegas. <laughs> fully agree. I fully agree with that, Lori. Yeah. Hate Elvis. Hate the whole Elvis thing. But... When he did Viva Las Vegas, like, okay, I get why, you know, if he had done this, if Elvis sounded like that when he had done it, I would be more of an Elvis fan. But sorry. Yes, he totally improved that song. I think that's a great answer to that question. Yeah, these, these, all these questions need to go in the Slack channel. I think the, the patrons would have a lot of thoughts on, on the answers Absolutely. to these questions. We should do that. Can I steal them? Okay, I'll put them in. Yeah, put them in. You put them in. You put them in. Put them in there yeah, one, do it one at a time. time. <laughs> yeah, All right, like maybe like one per day or one per like, or, you know, just sort of be like, come back tomorrow for, you know, and everybody can. For the next one. Yeah, that'll keep everybody well, sort of it, engaged. 
I'm sure like casually drop it in there right now. <laughs> yeah, dude, put one in there. Go for it. Just no comment the before the episode posts. That's very funny. <laughs> Don't say where they came from. Just, just, just ask. the first one. <laughs> well, yeah, do that. Yeah. Well, we are at the one hour twenty minute mark. I don't. I don't know what. Oh my god. I'm what it'll edit down to, but um, no, it's, it's fantastic. Uh, I mean, I could I could go for another hour just like by talking through these questions. This is so much, but I know you've. Uh, you, you got to get to bed, and I—I I mean, I—I I definitely need to get to bed. <laughs> so, but yeah, like, you guys have kids, so. Oh man, well, thank you so much for not not just for being here, but for continually engaging the discussion through email, through like really daring to do something different with your list, um, and really like generating some truly interesting discussion here. So, thank you so much for all that. Oh, you're welcome. This is fun. This is, you guys kind of drew me into the Bruceiverse. I did not intend to become a fan like this, but uh, it's too late. It's too late. This has gone beyond the Harry Potter level of fandom. So. Whoa, that's, that's <laughs> I know. deep. That's deep. I know. Level. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I understand Pat. that. I am, I'm, I'm past that level, too, which is a level that very few things pass, but it is my metric for <laughs> whether yeah. I'm obsessed or not. Yes, um, two more or less. Yes, I'm deep into the history of rock and roll now. I'm reading books about Elvis and the Beatles. Yeah. And I was like, oh my God, this is really. Oh, um, the birth of loud. It's about oh, the yeah. history of electric guitars. I just read it and it's beautiful. I have to, I am waiting on that just because I don't know enough about guitars and music. So I'm trying to doing other stuff that's more about kind of people. On lyrics, because I'm afraid if I start reading it, and it's it'll sound like I'm having a conversation the... with you, and you're talking about things. That... Oh yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it's mostly about the personalities. It's mostly just oh, okay. about the personalities behind the guitars. Um, yeah. But I have to tell you, um, I look every time I see an email from you, I look forward to it. I don't, I answer, I like, I open all my emails immediately. If I have one from you, I wait until I have time, because I want to <laughs> read it and I want to send. Like, I want. I've told people close to me this. They're like, hey, what are you working on right now? And I'm like, well, I'm working on a rewrite of an email that I'm about to send to my friend Lori because I want to make sure that she always thinks I'm smart and cool. Uh, you so, rewrite your emails. I already think you're smart and cool. Well, if you <laughs> have a second draft, thank you. My students out there so listening, I, uh, write a second draft, damn it. Yeah, read it. Write it down. It's great. Write I it down will. and then read it and then rewrite it. And then uh, read it, anyway. yes. Read it out loud, rewrite it. Yes. Anyway, oh, uh, I'm super glad to have finally spoken to you in person. And uh, as always, I await your next email with bated breath. <laughs> okay. I can't wait to you guys get back on the list. These are fun to listen to, but I'm waiting to get back on the list. I want to hear more. B- before we let you go, right. can, can I ask? Because we'll uh-huh. uh, yeah. we, we've gotten this from every every person we've talked to, um, because usually they give us their like personal top ten. So I do want to ask, what's your what is your current favorite Bruce Springsteen song? Whichever one I'm listening to. I love that answer. Oh, That's so good. She did it. That's a good answer. <laughs> I would have also accepted Pony Boy. Just... <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. That's I'm going to put it on right now. I'm going to put it on and go right to sleep listening to Pony <laughs> I hope you God do. Damn I hope it. you just enjoy it. I got to. All right. Well, thanks, everybody, so much right. for listening. And thanks especially to Lori Pierce for uh, all, all the time listening and contributing uh, emails and uh, just this discussion thanks so much and uh everybody have a good evening and or whatever whatever time you happen to be listening to this and we will be back in your feed soon i'm sure with uh another one of these 
very fun interviews. So thanks, everybody, and have a good one.